10 years ago when I first got into permaculture, um, I was at that time, I'd gone through a, like, a serious crisis in life and I was homeless. I knew I wanted to get land. I knew I wanted to gain all these skills. And all of this was also partly connected with the fact that I one day want to have a family. I'm really looking for like apprentices and people that I can kind of teach and train. Hello and welcome to the Permaculture Vine podcast. My name is Cormac Harkin and today I'm delighted to welcome Orion Black on the show. Welcome, Orion. Thank you. Happy to be here. Welcome. Do you want to just give a quick, very short introduction to who you are and then we'll get into all the details then later? Yeah, sounds great. My name is Orion Black. I'm 31 years old. I live in the Puget Sound region of Washington. Uh, I have been living off grid for about seven years on my property that's now paid off. Um, and I have built a few businesses, bootstrap absolutely from the ground up. And I spend most of my time working with trees, land, and- uh... That's a great introduction. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting in, but let's take it back to the start as we do all our guests. Where did you first hear about permaculture and, and how did you get into it? Sure, sure. So it was about 10 years ago now um, when someone who I really, really deeply respect, one of my like best mentors and teachers um, was in Seattle and he'd been saving up money planning to buy land for like 10 or 15 years that I'd known him and he finally did. And um, at some point he was just like crazy about permaculture and just kind of wanted everyone to learn about it and was kind of talking to me about it and um, really kind of pumping it up as like the cutting edge or like the the real wisdom in a sense in like land stewardship and agricultural um, kind of pursuits. And so that that was one that was when I first heard of it. And then shortly later, um, my adopted mom in Tacoma, who I met at her like monthly potluck that she hosts around like permaculture type topics, uh, her family was really, really into it. And they kind of adopted me. And um, yeah, that's that. Those were kind of my two like launch points. Right. So uh, two, two good influences. Uh, influence you on it and uh an amazing male mentor and then like a really amazing female mentor and they were both it was like perfect and uh did they did they teach you yourself or did you did you go and self-study so the the guy his name is b and um when i first met him he was training one of my best friends in martial arts and like health fitness nutrition he was like a martial arts trainer personal trainer and then uh spent the rest of his time doing like really high-end landscape work and like organic gardening for like really high end clients, like celebrities and people like that. And so um, I spent a good amount of time living with him, just like kind of every day doing landscape and earth care and practicing martial arts and kind of living that lifestyle. And then he bought land and built a farm that he's had for about 10 years now that I've gone out and lived on a good bit and helped him build. So a lot of hands on with him. Um, with Laura May, who's kind of like my adopted mom, she's, I would say, I typically don't put as much stock into this side, but with her, it's like really impressive. She's really a bit more on like the social side of permaculture where she's kind of like, um, like a mother to the whole community. And she just kind of like nurtures and takes care of everyone and really kind of has a genuine care about the overall well-being of like the earth, the community, everyone. And she also has a lot of knowledge that she's accumulated, but she isn't really a permaculture teacher and doesn't really teach that 
as much as she is just like a really amazing nurturing nurturing person with the permaculture interest and inclination and like support. Yeah, that's class. So what kind of stuff uh, were you learning on the on the on on your friend on Bee's land? And the, and the landscape and was that permaculture was that like sort of more organic man everything uh i would say if i had to like put a label on the most potent piece of what i got from him it would be like a deep spiritual connection he ha- he has like a really deep connection with native american spiritualism and the land and those kind of that that relationship and that's like of the utmost importance to him he's probably of anyone I've ever met, he maybe does more to care for the earth and permaculture and land care and all of that than maybe anyone else I've met. And with him, it's, it's more than any of the other areas. It's like a very deep spiritual and like kind of responsibility, um, but also just relationship and having not really had that growing up or having ever learned that or had that, that, I mean, I had a connection to nature, but not on that level. Um, I would say that's really the most profound thing that I've really received from him, but um, that's not to undervalue at all anything else. I mean, he's been living 100% off grid on his land for 10 years while running like underground businesses with many employees, like building landscapes all over the Puget Sound region, all like cash under the table. And it's just like, he moves mountains behind the scenes. Uh, So he's, man, I can't, I don't know where to start with what I've learned from him, but really a lot of deep reverence for life and the plants and the animals and beings. And um, yeah, just, I guess that that sense of sacred connection that has to be protected and preserved and passed on um, as well as like the duty and obligation and responsibility to care for these ecosystems and this planet and this life force and to treat it with um, a deep reverence and respect and honor it with the work we do. But the spiritual stuff is, is great, but it's sort of, where does Outside. your, sort, yeah. So where does the sort of, have you any formal education or is it just, uh, sort of learning off others? So I dropped out of school when I was 14 years old. I got my GED and I've never had a college class. I've never gotten a certificate. I don't even have a permaculture design certificate, but um, I've built many businesses. I bought my land, paid my land off. I've been traveling around the, the country building food forests. Um, and yeah, I don't put as much stock into certificates and uh, things like that as other people. No, that's great. Cause it, to me, it doesn't matter. You have the experience. The rest of it, it is, you say it's about a paper. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it counts if you're on the yeah. land and doing it. Uh-huh. 10 years ago, I didn't know what a saw was or a circular saw. I'd never changed the tire. I didn't know what an alternator or an engine was. I had never built or done anything. And now I've built $100,000 tree houses, solar systems from scratch, done every aspect of construction from residential foundations like basements to like parking garages on skyscrapers to remodeling million dollar houses. Like I said, building tree houses and I have all the tools to do all that. And have now been building food forests around the country. I've rebuilt motorcycles, entire engines, every part on the car. So I don't have any paper qualification, but there's not much that I don't think I can do. Uh, that, that's awesome. So let's take it back. You mentioned the spiritual side, but what, what I was going to say there was uh, basically that's, 
not very good of it. You can't sustain yourself and you have to earn, earn sort of the money. And, and yeah. that's where the entrepreneurial side of the sound of it, you've done quite well there. So do you want to tell us, was it a dual education and entrepreneurship and looking after the land you got? Or did the entrepreneurship come after? Um, I would say, well, when like 10 years ago, when I first got into permaculture, um, I was at that time, I'd gone through a, like, a serious crisis in life and I was homeless. I was living out of my car down literally by the river, as they say. And I had, but I had clearly determined the future that I wanted. I knew I wanted to get land. I knew I wanted to gain all these skills and all of this was also partly connected with the fact that I one day want to have a family. And so at that time, um, I was in a really deep spiritual place, but I was broke. I had no money and I knew I needed to make money. And um, so I, I feel like I lost track of the question a little bit, but I, I have a line I can follow a little bit that I think will clear it up a bit. Yeah, you um, away. Freestyle it. <laughs> cool. So, like I said, I was living out of my car. What had really happened is I'm going to back up in my story just a little bit and kind of dump it. Um, I grew up in a military family and my mother was in the military. My father was in the military. Uh, I was conceived on a military base. Um, my mother and father didn't stay together. They weren't really in love. And my mother dropped me off at my grandparents here in Washington when I was like an infant and came back a few years later. Um, she was married, got custody of me. By the time I was 13, I'd had five stepdads. I'd been to like 20 something schools and been moving all over the country every couple months and um, just kind of decided that it wasn't really a healthy environment that I was in. And so I left and set out into the world on my own at like 14 years old. Um, I was homeless for a while. And then here in Washington, I ended up selling marijuana and I was really good at it. Um, by the time I was 18, I was moving like a quarter million dollars in marijuana every week. And I went to prison for three and a half years. Um, they raided my house and found a whole bunch of guns and a whole bunch of marijuana. I went to prison for three and a half years. And when I got out, I was 21 years old. I had never had a job. They had legalized marijuana and had stores all over the state making millions of dollars. But I had a criminal record. I was on probation. Apartments wouldn't rent to me and McDonald's and Burger King wouldn't hire me. So I was in a really tough spot. Also, when I got arrested, I was engaged and uh, she was pregnant. And so I was like preparing to have a family and she ended up having an abortion and got strung out on like hard drugs. And like, I mean, I really went through hell. And during that while in prison for almost four years, I spent a year in a maximum security facility and almost a year in solitary confinement. And that gave me a lot of time to really think about my life and the choices that I had made and what I wanted in life, the person I wanted to be and kind of like the gap between who I was at that time and where I was and where I wanted to be. And so I kind of made a pact with divinity that, you know, if I got a chance, I would hold up my end basically. Um, and so when I got out, about 10 years ago, um, that was basically where I was. I was out, I'm on probation. Um, I've never had a job. I'm homeless. I'm living out of my car. And I had a lot of experiences that kind of guided me like very quickly, you know, I, I saw, I used to make a lot of money selling weed and that was really my first job. I'd never had a job before. 
And very quickly, I saw how low wages were in comparison to like the cost of living and rent, uh, healthy food, uh, an automobile, gas, insurance, all of these things. And um, and so I was really struggling. And I, I saw I had some friends that had been renting the same house for like 20 years. And right after I got released, they uh, got evicted because the owner was selling it to, to a new owner. And the rent that they had paid in that 20 years was twice the price of what the building was selling for. So they'd already paid for the building twice in that period of time they were renting. And then they just got the boot. Um, somewhat luckily, the new owners ended up renting to them again. And so they still live there. They've been paying rent in this building for like 30 years. And now their children rent the unit next door, you know. Um, and so I just saw like that rent cycle as something I didn't want to get in. And so I opted that I would rather be homeless um, and put all of my money into educating myself, not necessarily with certificates or like college, but in gaining real life experience and skills. Um, and also in trying to invest in like tools and things that might leverage me upwards in life. Um, and so I really committed to that and just really dug my heels in. And as I said, I didn't really have um, construction or technical skills previous to that. And I really wanted to gain those. And I can, I considered going to college for a while. And I even went and kind of visited some colleges and looked at the programs they offered and trade schools and things like that. And, um, I basically decided that I didn't want to put myself massively further in debt to gain knowledge. And so I strategically decided instead that I would look for jobs that would teach me the things I wanted to learn and pay me at the same time. And so knowing that I wanted to get land and knowing that I was going to need to learn how to build, um, I intuitively understood that you have to start with a foundation. And so I looked around uh, the area around Seattle where I was living at the time for concrete companies that were building foundations. And, uh, and then I sent all of them emails and I basically just said, Hey, this is who I am. I'm 21, 22 years old. I have no experience whatsoever. I have no tools at all, but I'm determined to learn and I'm physically in great shape. I'm athletic. I'm intelligent. If you give me a chance, I'm going to be early every day. I'm going to bust my butt and I'm going to show up every day to learn as much as I can. And, uh, very quickly I got hired on. I had already been working um, in restaurants in the Seattle area because I just had to get a job immediately to, to be able to get out. And so um, I'd actually made my way up to $20 an hour uh, working at restaurants in Seattle already within a year of being released. But I put in my two weeks and I quit working in the restaurants because I knew that was a dead end. And I took a $5 pay cut from $20 an hour down to $15 an hour to get into construction. Um, so I got in with the first company and they basically told me like, you can, you know, labor this first week, you're going to get paid on Friday and we expect you to go buy these basic tools if you want to work for us. Um, and so that payday, I immediately went out and got my tool belt, my tape measure, you know, my pliers, my hammer, all the basic tools that they wanted me to have. Um, and then I just did exactly what I said. Um, I showed up every day early, ready to learn as much as I could, busted my butt. And I would, I just accepted that I was the grunt and I would work as hard as it took. And when I earned that compliment from the boss, when he was like, Hey man, you're really working your ass off and I really appreciate it. I'd say, Hey, thanks. You know, like I said, 
the, I'm not here for the $15 an hour. I really want to learn. So I, you know, if you, if you get a chance to teach me something, I'd really appreciate it. Um, and having that attitude, they, they tended to really like that. And especially combined with me really working my butt off for them. Um, and so they would take time and teach me things. And as soon as I learned how to use tools, I would immediately go invest my money and buy those. I'm homeless living out of my car. I'm keeping my expenses to a minimum and I'm investing in tools and showing up to learn every day. And so after about eight, nine months of doing that, um, I felt confident I could build foundations from start to scratch. I understood every bit of what we were doing and I had all the basic tools to do it. Um, they had raised me up to like 17 bucks an hour from 15, but they weren't going to give me any more raises anytime soon because I was still only with them for eight months and they had people with them for years who, you know, weren't making much more than me. And, um, and I wasn't really learning anything. So I started marketing myself to other companies. I, now I, I, I felt pretty good about con concrete, but I wanted to learn more framing and how to work with wood. So I started reaching out to like remodel companies and framing companies. And, you know, my pitch looks a little different now. Now I'm 22 years old. I've been building concrete foundations for the last nine months. I have all these tools. Um, I really want to learn how to work with wood. I really want to learn remodeling. If you give me a shot, you know, I'm going to show up every day. I'm going to work my butt off and I'm going to learn everything I can. And so for about four years, that's what I did. I just bounced through the construction industry, working my way through trades, getting paid to learn what I wanted to learn. And each time I continued to work my way up like that first company had me at $17 an hour. When I moved from concrete into remodel, they jumped me right to $20 an hour because now I have all these tools. I have these skills already. So I just instantly moved up. And then I stuck with that company for probably like six months learning how to frame and do some remodeling, bought some more tools. They moved me up to like 22 bucks an hour, but I wasn't really getting any further. And I decided I wanted to learn how to build tree houses. So I found a tree house company here in Washington that was building like $150,000 tree houses. And I convinced them to hire me. And I spent the next like seven, eight months building tree houses around Washington. Um, so I'm going to pause there because I can really get into like an never ending rant. But um, you wanted a little bit more, you know, kind of grounded picture on tangible gaining skills, gaining tools, making money and a little bit more of that side of the picture. So um, so there's that. I will also throw in that at the same time, immediately, like literally when I started my first construction job, I also knew that I really wanted to learn how to grow food. And so I searched around and found per the permaculture organizations around Seattle, like uh, Beacon Hill Food Forest, the Community Orchard of West Seattle, and different projects like that in the Seattle area. And I immediately plugged into those. So I would go work all day, eight, nine, 10 hours a day doing construction. And I would get off work and literally just drive across Seattle and go work at a local nursery or with the permaculture guilds or doing that kind of stuff, literally in park. And then I would just go to sleep in my car or a local park and do it all over again. And I did that for several years. Well, that's some education you gave yourself. <laughs> yeah i've really taken yeah that uh, that's very impressive and uh it's a good example to everybody that uh about getting up and going especially in your if you have the energy in your 20s to do that uh it's, it's a good good age to do it on but by the sounds of it you'd right. already you'd already loved the life by the time you got to your 20s 
Yeah, yeah, I'd lived a bit of a crazy life already, for sure. Already, so <clears throat> it was good that you get grounded and and uh, you, you found that, um, you know, found that passion and purpose. Definitely, probably saved my life. Like the truth is, I got in trouble with the law when I was sixteen, and then again when I was seventeen, and again when I was eighteen. And when I got out, I couldn't even imagine making it a year and not getting in trouble. Like it was just beyond. I couldn't, I just couldn't even imagine that. So, um, it's been 10 years now. Um, so that's pretty amazing. And I would largely credit permaculture in a big way. And just like this vision that it kind of gave me and then just me kind of just dedicating myself to that really helped me turn my life around. Yeah. Do you want to just continue your story and how, how that led on the sort of the business, the permaculture businesses and the landscape businesses and so, um, like I said, I had been buying tools as I learned construction. So when I was in concrete, I was buying all the tools related to that. And then when I moved into framing, I bought tools for that. And when I moved into remodeling, I bought tools for that. And as I got into tree houses, I bought more tools related to that. And about the same time I was getting into tree house work, um, I started to become aware of the seasonal nature of a lot of landscape and construction work and you know in the in the late spring throughout summer and early fall business is booming but then as it gets to late fall and winter and early spring and it's really cold and there's snow on the ground and it's raining all day every day um the work really slows and um you know we have to we have to make money and that is when i ended up getting into the tree service industry um, which is like pruning trees and removing hazardous trees and logging and all of that. And, um, and so I started doing that part-time and I was starting to shop for land around that time too. And I saw that when I bought property, it was very likely that I was going to need to get some tree work done. And tree work is insanely expensive. And I couldn't even fathom how I would ever be able to afford to pay someone to do tree work. So kind of like with everything else, I was like, well, it looks like one more thing that I'm going to have to learn how to do. <laughs> Combined with, I saw what I was making as a guy on the ground, just kind of dragging branches. And I saw that the guy that was climbing the tree uh, was making a lot more money than I was. And I was definitely interested in making that kind of money. Um, and so I started learning the tree service work in the tree service industry. And, um, in the mix of all this too, I'm really poor and my vehicles are breaking down frequently and I can't really afford automotive work. And so I'm also learning how to work on my own vehicles and learning how to rebuild my vehicles and do that sort of work. Um, so by doing that, um, I was amassing my own tools that matched and complemented my skill set. And that enabled me and empowered me to start taking side jobs and start kind of running side businesses and getting a little bit of a taste for that and a little bit of experience for that. And of course, making all the mistakes that you're going to make in starting businesses and kind of going into business for yourself. Um, and so I would say, Okay. Um, so, so then I started taking, you know, side gigs, I, I would take on some landscaping projects here and there, and I would take on construction projects here and there. And then I'm taking on small tree service projects that I can manage and handle myself. 
to bring in income. And, um, and I'm also trying to find a more stable living situation. I'm kind of staying with friends sometimes and showering with friends and kind of people that are like family. And then also um, going and staying on farms or places that are kind of more of homesteads. And um, this is all kind of an important part of my journey because it really opened my eyes to a lot of things. Like I was trying to dodge the burden of rent and um and life expenses as much as possible like i i tactically and strategically said you know if i want to if i want to dig myself out of this hole that i'm in i'm really going to have to cut my expenses as as much as i can and try to minimize my expenses and live as frugally as i can and figure out how to barter and um you know upcycle and and recycle and kind of um all of these things to minimize my expenses. And then I'm also going to try and have to figure out how to create multiple sources of income, try to um, build those incomes up so that they're greater. And through that journey of trying to minimize my expenses and and try to not pay for things as much as possible, um, as I slowly, I mean, at first I had nothing but needs. It's like, I didn't really have anything to offer. I didn't really have skills. I'm just in this crisis place of, of needing help. Um, and in that moment, it's like, you got to get your own oxygen mask on and you're, you're, you're not really as aware of everyone else and what everyone else needs. And over time, as I kind of began to heal and have some of my needs met, I became more conscious and aware of some of the burden that I was shirking uh, being pushed off onto people around me that I cared about. Like maybe I'm not paying rent, but I'm staying at someone else's place and they still have to pay the rent, you know? Um, And kind of that situation, or maybe like I made a friend who's a mechanic and they're helping me out to fix up my car for free, but they're, they're still sacrificing their time, you know? And like, maybe some of their materials or, or they're making sacrifices um, on my behalf and I'm not really contributing and carrying my weight. And I became kind of acutely aware of that um, and acutely aware of myself as somewhat of a burden to my community and um, a burden to society. And that really didn't feel good and didn't feel comfortable to me. Um, and that was kind of, that, shift in in consciousness and awareness was taking place while I was also trying to find a stable place that I could live and a way to live harmoniously with other people because naturally as like a troubled teenager who was then like maybe a so-called drug dealer and then spent four years in prison and maximum security and in those kind of violent situations and then homeless, um, trying to find my way. I mean, I was probably rough around the edges and and didn't necessarily really fit in with anyone. And so my experience was that wherever I went, like I might go stay at a farm or with this intentional community or that, um, I would work really hard and really bust my butt because I wanted to be valued and I wanted to be appreciated. Um, And I would kind of give everything that I had. But in a shorter time or longer time, I would eventually like disagree with someone or rub someone the wrong way or made someone uncomfortable and would find myself unwelcome uh, with no equity. 
and basically just kind of needing to leave. Um, and so the, the combination of, of those awarenesses of kind of the, the heavy burden of, of living expenses. And if I don't take on that burden, um, it just kind of being pushed off on my community and people that I care about combined with me, not me feeling like a burden and not really feeling like I fit in with anyone and not feeling really welcome or wanted anywhere um, was really psychologically heavy, heavy on me. I, I, I became very depressed and Ne never quite suicidal, but like kind of right on that edge where it was like, I wasn't really going to take my own life, but I really didn't want to be here either. And I was, was kind of in a deep spiritual place and kind of felt that money was really tainted and evil and that it was very, very difficult to get money for doing something clean and something good. And I also had an understanding that it, it seemed kind of like um, basically money replaced re just replaces community relationships because it's like, you know, if we're in a community, maybe this woman babysits everyone in the community's kids and or like all the community, the, the kids in the community go hang out over there with her kids, you know, and that's just like a natural thing taking place in the community. Um but but that's not there's no money involved and that's not a good or service. But then as soon as she's charging people money for their kids to be over there, now that's part of the economy. Now a good and service has been created and it's entered the financial realm. You know, it's like we can go over to each other's houses for dinner and not charge each other for that. Like you can just come over to my house and have dinner. And, you know, sometimes I can go over to your house and have dinner and like we can kind of just live in a community that way. Um, or you can pay money to go somewhere where someone made food for you and it's been monetized and it's been brought into the economy. And basically I felt like everything that I could charge someone money for, I could also just do for them as part of my community as an act of service. And that there was just basically an infinite scale of what you want to charge because it's like, um, someone can ask me to come out and cut a tree for them and I can show up and say, no problem. I'll do that for you for a hundred dollars and I can help them out and I can cut that tree down for a hundred dollars. But if I can, if, if I can make them pay $1,500 to cut that tree down, I can make them pay $1,500 to cut the tree down, you know? And it's like, it just felt like the more I'm charging them, the more I'm taking from the community and the less I'm giving to the community. And so I really had this this deep inner struggle with money and um and it was a real difficult one for me uh, reconciling and uh i was in that place and like i said basically feeling just unwelcome and unwanted and there i really didn't want to be here and i was also i'm very philosophical and I was really trying to understand what seemed to me like a deep contradiction in the values of society when suicide is vilified and treated as extremely taboo and extremely bad and negative, but yet the cost of you living is a burden on society. Um, and 
it's very difficult to like make enough money to to be here you know um it, it was really difficult for me to reconcile that and that left me in a place where i would i was not only feeling psychologically sick but it was taking on like a psychosomatic symptoms within my body where i just i didn't feel good and i i not i wasn't like literally like sick sick but i just really didn't feel good um and it was really having like a really deep toll on on me and i was really desperately searching for a place that i could call home and that i could belong and so then i went and i started building a camp in the in the forest down by the river and i was living there for like eight months and i would hike into my camp and sleep for the night and i would get up and go to work every day and i slowly built it and i built a chicken coop and i had chickens and then i started planting fruit trees and i um you know i was building like a little farm and eventually someone found my camp and reported it and one day uh, my camp just got surrounded by like 10 agents on four wheelers and they came in and, and started ripping out all my trees and ripping out all my plants and they didn't find me yet. Like I was hiding, watching them for like an hour. And finally I came out and they were like very scared and like on guard. And um, eventually I won them over and they really liked me. And they were like, you know, we're really sorry that we have to do this. We've had to run like 400 encampments out of here in the last year. It's just our job. And this is just what we have to do. And, you know, I just kind of explained my situation that I was just trying to to find a way to live. And like my camp was clean. I didn't have trash. And I was like, you know, just trying to live in a good way. And um, they sympathized for me and they gave me some secret information. Um, well, at first I got ran out of my first camp. And that was within like some city limits. And so I found out where the line was, where the city and the county divided. And so then I moved into the county, the county land. And that's where I was for like eight months. And then that's where the county came in with all the four wheelers. And they were like, hey, you can't be here either. And I'm like, well, where can I be? You know, like I can't be in the city. I can't be in the county. Outside of that's just state and federal land. And I can't be on private property. So like as a human on earth, where am I allowed to be? You know? Um, and they basically told me that across the river from where I was, was hundreds of acres of property that was owned by this community college. And they told me that no one enforces the, the rules over there. And, and then they, they, they didn't directly tell me, but they hinted at some other information. There were large islands in the middle of the river, um, in between the county side and the other side, and no one can own the islands. They're not owned by anyone. And so, um, so I moved my camp actually out onto the island and I, every night I would, it would be like the, the rocks or, or the, the logs are completely slick. I mean, you would just completely slip off one and I've got all my gear and everything I'm carrying. And I'm like shimmying across the logs, across the river to get to my island campsite. So my stuff won't be stolen and like the agents won't run me off. And I lived that way for a while. And I really, I kind of felt in paradise when I was there, I felt really free and kind of for, for a couple of years between that. And when I first started living on my land, I kind of felt like I was living with the gods. Just, just, to, just to summarize then, <clears throat> just, uh, there's a lot of information there. So you're working yeah. long hours. So you're working the day job, learning skills. You start doing side hustles there. That's not making you feel good. And as well as that, you're, you're finishing your side hustle. You're going to this camp. 
now in the river. So it's it's like uh you're basically just constantly on the move, constantly on the go. It wasn't that the work didn't make me feel good. It was that the the extreme discrepancy between how much money I was able to make and the amount of money necessary I felt like to become a stable, respected member of society were just so out of balance that that I that made me not feel well. Right, and I take it you're um, I take it you're is, I, take, I take it you're saving a lot of money at the time as well. Somewhat. I mean, I'm I'm just I'm still really struggling. I'm 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 investing every bit of extra money I have in in tools. Um, you know, I'm starting off with with cheap cars that are breaking down, and I'm breaking down constantly, and then uh, being stranded and trying to get my vehicles repaired, and you know, trying to afford food, and you know, just all of the expenses of life. It was a lot starting from nothing with no support, you know? Yeah. Um, so at this point into my story, I've probably been out of prison for like two years. Yeah. So uh, do you want to tell us about how you, how you, how you got the, the owning your land? Yeah. So that's exactly where I was in the story. Yeah. Um, so it was it, it, around this time, you know, it's like, I know I can't just keep living there forever. And I'm, you know, worried about my tools being stolen and all these different things. And so I'm searching for, for property. And that's part of why I'm feeling so upset and so sick because as I'm searching for land, it just seems like I'll never be able to afford it in my wildest dreams. And, and just like, I don't know how I could ever accomplish that. But while, while searching, I eventually come across this ad uh, that offers owner financing on land with as little as like $1,000 down. And I'm just like, man, this has to be too good to be true. But I don't have any other option. You know, I've got no other, I don't see any other way. And so I reach out and I talk to the guy and it turns out he's got a bunch of properties that he's doing deals like this on. And so he sends me the locations and um, I get some gas because they're out, they're all out, you know, in the sticks. And I go check out some of the properties and um, I find a couple that, that kind of appealed to me. And so I start to, I, I, even though I'm very poor and very broke, I have some understanding of how psychology works. And so this guy, you know, he's got a bunch of properties and businesses, et cetera. He's a busy, important guy. Um, so I reach out and I'm like, Hey, you know, I know you're a really important guy. I'm very interested in buying a property from you. Can I buy you lunch so that we can sit down face to face and talk? Um, and that's kind of a, strate a strategy that I've used for the past 10 years. Like if I want someone's attention and I want them to take me seriously and I want to influence them, I generally invite them to lunch or, or dinner or something at, on my expense. Even if that's all the money I have, I'll invest it in that kind of way um, to get the attention and influence that I want. So um multiple times I invested what little money I had buying this guy. And he was a total schmoo like schmooze, take advantage of whoever he could like loved that he could get a free lunch from me or a free dinner from me. Um, I would, I would buy him lunch or dinner and kind of cash out the situation. And um, at that time he was willing to take a thousand dollars down payment. And I didn't even have a thousand dollars. I ended up borrowing a thousand dollars from friends to be able to make the down payment. Um, and we negotiated our co a contract and I had it stipulated in my contract that I got a 60 day grace period 
before I was in default because I knew I didn't have a stable life. I didn't have stable income. And it was very likely that I was going to run into hiccups and tough times. And so I explained all that up front and he was willing to work with that. Um, and so I signed my contract and I would, I had a rent own contract on a property now, five acres out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and so I drove out there and I'm living out of my car. And uh, when I first got out there, I, they had, they had logged the property before I got it. So it was a clear cut of stumps um, with two creeks running through that dry up in the summer. So they're seasonal. And then they had left a couple of huge piles of logs that like weren't good enough to go to the lumber mill. And uh, a lot of it in the, in being neg neglected and just abandoned was mostly overgrown with just, it was just like a blackberry field. And when I first got there, um, basically I felt like a guest, like I understood from B, the mentor that I'd mentioned that this land was alive. And in, in just one scoop of soil were millions and billions of bacteria and life forms. And on this five acre property, there were, you know, 70, 80 year old trees, as well as hundreds of different types of plants and ferns that have been around since the Jurassic period. And so there were all these different life forms that had been calling this land home before I was even born. And so I had this deep reverence and respect for the land and all of these beings that lived there. And I felt like a guest and a child and an adolescent in their home and in their space. It, I didn't, I didn't come with the mentality that like, this is mine now and I own it. I was more like really grateful that I now had a safe space that I was allowed to share. Um, and that was kind of the psychology and the spiritual um, understanding or philosophy that I came to the land with. And so when I first came, I couldn't even get myself to build anything or do anything because I, I just didn't feel like it belonged to me. I just felt like a guest. And for me to even build something, I would first have to kill all these plants that lived on that ground to build a house. And um, it, it I, I literally, I didn't cut a single plant for, like in permaculture, they say to observe the land for a whole year before you make changes. So you see it through every cycle. And in permaculture, it's well known that that never happens, you know, uh, <laughs> that like never, ever, ever happens, especially in a professional setting, because no one's going to pay you for a year to do nothing except watch the land. Um, but in my case, I actually spent two and a half years pretty much observing the land before I started making any changes. Um, and before I was able to um, resolve that I would have to exercise violence on the land in order to improve it or change it or guide it in whatever I felt like was the best way. And so I, that's why I, I really can't, I really, while it is kind of woo woo and maybe not um, financially relevant, I am unwilling to not mention the spiritual part of the journey. Um, 
and so for that it's it's a really really pivotal and like critical and integral part of this whole journey that i've had and so for that couple years um in that spiritual space i felt like most of the things we do are kind of like just chasing our our tails around for the point of chasing them like digging holes and then filling them in for the point of having something to do it felt like most of the things that we do aren't really necessary like god doesn't need us to do it divinity doesn't need us to do it um like most of this stuff all this computer work and artificial realities and all this stuff like is that do we really need to do that and so i just really spent a lot of time reflecting and kind of in despair actually um seeking guidance and insight of of what i actually could do that was meaningful and how i could be of service and that basically i didn't really want to speak or even move or get up from the place that I was sitting in meditation, unless it was going to be for the betterment of the world and in service to divinity. And so I asked for guidance and to guide me in that. And really, I, I it took me a long time. I, I continued to just not really be sure, not really be sure. But years were passing that I wasn't maybe getting things done yet and I knew I needed to be like my life is only so long and so and I reached I I got a lot of different messages and insights and eventually resolved that I'm never going to have all the answers I'm never going to have the perfect exactly right answer but basically I'm going to find the way by just doing the best I can every day and you know breaking the ground and making some mistakes and and moving forward through that um and and so there's a lot more to the to breaking through but but that's part of the journey and so basically a couple years into my contract on the property i i also uh in my contract had it stipulated that i could make payments of as little as $400 a month um and that was basically i'm paying the taxes paying the interest and only like $50 to principal. And so at that rate, I wouldn't have paid the property off in a hundred years. Um, and I would never own the property. And so eventually if I was ever not able to make my payment, I was going to get evicted and I was just going to be homeless again. And so after a few years, I became acutely aware that if I didn't want to just be a homeless monk forever, um, I was going to really have to find a way to start making some money. And so I basically spent some time reflecting and praying and having a conversation with divinity. And I said, you know, I'm going to have to make some compromises and I'm going to have to make some sacrifices um, in order to, to make the money necessary to do what I think I need to do. And I know that I'm I'm probably going to drift some in my connection. I'm not going to be as connected as I am now. And I hope that that will be just a phase in my life that I have to, to experience for a while. And I felt at peace with that. I felt like divinity was okay with that. And then I went and I talked to my adopted mom who was really like my confidant and therapist. And like, I shared the deepest parts of my soul with, 
and who really understood where I was kind of mentally and psychologically. And I kind of shared this with her that, you know, I, I just feel like I'm really going to have to focus on money for a while if I don't want to be a homeless bum forever. And I feel like I'm going to have to sacrifice, you know, my spiritual relationship or place a little bit in order to do that. And she just expressed absolute support of that. And, uh, you know, just told, just gave me total support in that. And um, so I got my tree, tree service company, got licensed, bonded, and insured because I was pretty regularly doing work. I had some pretty decent income from that. And I was also losing. I, I was missing jobs because I wasn't licensed and insured. They weren't willing to let me do the jobs. And so I had a few jobs that if I got licensed and insured, clients were willing to give me the job that I was otherwise going to lose. And the money that I was going to make from the jobs was going to pay for the license and insurance. And so it, it was worth it to me. And so yet again, I borrowed money um, in order to get that license and insurance. And I got it and broke into the tree service world, my first legitimate licensed insured bonded company. And um, I'd already been doing landscape and construction and tree service kind of just on the side gigs for, you know, probably four or five years. Um, but this was my first legitimate company. And that was around 2018. And for perspective, I signed papers on the property. And thanks for your patience. 2016. Um, so, so yeah, basically with now having a, a tree service company that was insured for a million dollars and having my uh, license, I also would take on construction projects just kind of under the umbrella of my tree service company. Um, and that was really, those were really my main businesses that I built. Um, but there's a lot more like, so I basically envision an understanding that you probably won't get very far with just one source of income more likely that I wouldn't. And that I saw that it would, I'd probably get a lot further if I was able to create a source of income, get it stable and rolling and get it kind of growing. And then if I could create another source of income and then another source of income, it would be great if I had income coming from multiple directions instead of just one. And um also throughout all this i'm really trying to condense and and there's like there's so much information and there's really so much that took place i'm trying to hit on all these pieces that are each important but they're all just this piece that eventually becomes the picture um i also before i got land while i was working construction and collecting tools and i'm volunteering with the permaculture organizations and i'm volunteering with the the nurseries I'm searching for places where I can build my own gardens and experiment on my own and also kind of build my own banks of plants, knowing I want to get land and then I'll be able to take plants to my place. Um, and so, sorry, motorcyclist in the background. Um, I built some pretty big gardens and I had plants that were um, multiplying. They were, they were very productive and they were multiplying. I'm forgetting the word I want to use there. Um, Propagation. Yeah, yeah, but there's a word when they're just doing it like crazy. They're multiplying, whatever. Um, they're very vigorous and and yeah, yielding great. 
And so I, I was very quickly ending up with more than I wanted. And so then I just, um, I started listing some of my plants for sale. Um, and each spring for the next several years, I started generating um, more and more income every year just in plants out of my garden that were multiplying on their own. And I would just come every year, people would want, say, strawberries and raspberries. And I would just schedule times when people could show up and we would just dig them up and they'd give me money. Um, and so that became a source of income and a business goal. And so throughout this journey, I developed a list of like 50 different business goals and per, per, per possible potential ways to make money and then just started building those. Um, and none of them necessarily became huge, but each one would be bringing me in, say, a couple thousand dollars a year. Um, and so that is kind of part of the journey that I've taken. And so that's really most of, that's probably the bulk of what I can talk about as far as the businesses and, and how that went. And I have to jump tracks a little bit to reach the last part of it. And that is you fast forward to 2020 and I've now been on my land for five years. Um, I began planting a food forest. I built my tiny house. I'm starting to build my solar system and COVID hits and the whole world loses its mind. Everyone's, you know, locked at home, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to try not to dive into too, any rabbit holes there. Uh, but everyone has their own experience of what that was like. And there were people that had plenty of money that had been living in the city and, you know, living in skyscrapers and really nice houses and things like that, that found themselves very uncomfortable and found that they didn't want to be in the city and uh, that they wanted to have land and they wanted to have independent, sustainable food sources. And, um, and a lot of people were in a panic. So a lot of people with money who had not previously had any incentive or interest in investing in land or investing in sustainability or these kinds of things suddenly uh, had had a, had serious interest in that because they because it was directly connected to their own welfare, um, and so suddenly there was much more money in sustainability than there used to be, and um, a couple people that were in that position that had money and were buying land and wanted to be sustainable. I have to jump back just a little bit. As I'd said, I had really mostly been focused on the spiritual side before and had really been trying to care for the land and was was really focused on whatever work I did. I wanted to be helping the world, healing the world and kind of really in that direction. And so when it came time to plant the trees in my food forest, um, I actually made it a community celebration and an event where people were invited to come together and participate in uh, a prayer, ritual, meditation, celebration, ceremony, where we planted these trees and we like sang and danced and had a feast and like uh, had whole ceremonies where we planted the trees and each tree was planted by a different person. 
And so many of these people had never planted a tree before and they got to come together and like plant their first tree in a food forest with a community of people that were all participating in a, like a spiritual celebration of this um, reconnection with the earth and this taking on of responsibility and relationship and stewardship of the earth. And, um, and I, I just poured, I, you'll, you'll, you might hear over time, like basically every dollar I've made, I've poured into the land and poured into creating experiences like this. And that's where all my money goes pretty much. Um, but that's worked out for me. That's benefited me in the long run. Um, so fast forward now to a year after COVID uh, started, it's 2021. One of the people who came to that event and planted a tree in the orchard, uh, hired someone who, as a coach, uh, that, that it was like $10,000 for a session with this coach. And, um, and they did, you know, multiple sessions and that's, that's the kind of financial realm this coach is in, you know, they're working in the hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars and they're like a pseudo celebrity. They had bought land and they uh, had realized the the skills and the the skills to build the land and and that tool set and skill set wasn't theirs and they weren't really interested in getting that tool set and so they needed to find the right people to help them develop their land and so um, this person who had came to this event that I put on uh, mentioned me and they were like you know I I know a guy and I think you guys really need to talk. And so um, he eventually came to me with basically the same thing. He's like, you know, like, I know a guy, I think you really need to talk and convinced us both to do a Zoom call with each other. That's the only other other Zoom call I've ever done in my life besides this one we're on right now. And so I did the Zoom call um, and basically the client uh, was just absolutely adamant from the end of that Zoom call that I was the guy he wanted to do it. and he um basically made me an offer to fly me down across the country from Washington to Texas uh, for a week uh for a live week long in person interview and so I flew down for the week and at the end of the week he uh negotiated for me to stay like another week and paid for all my expenses and paid me and everything and um that began my professional large-scale permaculture design career. Before that, I had already been doing a lot of small-scale projects like in backyards. Um, and yeah, just kind of smaller scale with my biggest one being like two acres. And I was very upfront about my experience level throughout the whole thing. I told him that I honestly didn't feel qualified and I didn't feel like I had the experience that he really needed. And um, he just felt super confident that I was the guy he wanted to do this and that I would learn whatever I didn't know along the way. And, um, we negotiated an agreement and I spent the next two and a half years flying back and forth between Washington and Texas every month, um, building a site near Austin. And, uh, that became my sole source of income for like two years. That's a, that's a big, uh, uh, that's a great contract you land. Yeah. 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 It was, uh, it- <laughs> And uh, it was actually at the beginning of this year that I resigned from that 
after right around two years on the project. And what, what scale was that, did you say? Say again? And what size of property was that? What did it involve? 20 acre site. 20 acres of reserve. What what kind of stuff did you put on a pond's food forest or? Uh, yeah, so we got a well in and that took a whole year just in like finding out, finding, choosing where we want the well, um, finding what company we're going to hire, hiring them. Then they have a waiting list because they've got lots of customers ahead of us. The well eventually getting done. And then the well's done, but we don't have electricity because this started from nothing. It was a raw piece of land. So now the well's done, but we still need electricity to run the well. And so by the time from starting the project till we had water running was like a year, you know, because it's things take time. Like people just imagine in their minds that, you know, you're like, oh, I want a well and tomorrow it's there. But that's not the way reality works, you know, so. Um, a year into the project, we finally have a well with running water. Um, and, and we, up until that point, we can't have animals and we can't plant a food forest because it's 110 degrees in summer and there's no water. Um, so, so up until that point I had been, I also wasn't from the Austin area. So I wasn't familiar with what trees grow there, what crops are grown there. Um, et cetera, et cetera. And again, I was very upfront with about all of this with the client every step of the way. And so each visit where I would come down for a week to 10 days, half of that time would be spent on R&D and networking. So when I would land, I would immediately start um, reaching out to all the organic farms and permaculturists and permaculture organizations in the area. And I would spend half of my time in Austin volunteering at the farms in the area or with the permaculture guilds um learning as much as i can networking and recruiting the people that we need to build the project and so that is half of what i did for the first year was basically study research and recruit people for the project um as well as designing the property and studying the property and then as permaculture advises around the one year mark, we actually got the well in, had running water and started breaking ground to get plants in the ground and brought animals out and started actually farming animals. Um, and so pretty much immediately, as soon as we got water, we uh, got 150 chicks, which we raised for the next three to four months to slaughter and then market. And um, around a half a, half a dozen pigs, that we raised up to slaughter and then market, which was thousands of pounds in pork. So um, by the year and a half mark, we were planting the the beginning of the food forest and we had harvested thousands of pounds of, of meat for the client. So um, also when the client hired me, the original scope was that they wanted me to design their, their site to cover food, energy, water and infrastructure like buildings and electricity to for them to be have their needs met um so they wanted food water energy and buildings and so right off the gate before i ever even showed up i said well i'm not a nuclear physicist i'm not going to be inventing any new forms of electricity so your where our options there are basically solar hydro um wind or tapping into the electric grid. 
and there's no water, so hydro's out the window. And not only I, I tried, I don't have reception there. Sorry. Um, thanks. So, I, sorry, I got interrupted. Um, so the only options at that point were either uh, wind energy or solar. And in Texas and Austin, solar is the no-brainer, obvious answer. So I was like, well, energy is basically already done. We need to build solar. Um, so your electric system, we need to get solar, and that's basically already done. Um, as far as water goes, any building we build, we're definitely going to have rainwater catchment. But other than that, we need to get a well in. You know, like there's really no ifs, ands, buts about that as far as I'm concerned. Um, so... In, in the water realm, the beginning of my job was like choosing the most strategic location for the well and then uh, doing things like swales and contours on the land to design how the water was going to flow across it, um, taking into account the slope and things like that. And so that is the realm of water. So going over things again, you know, we've got electricity, water and then food and infrastructure are the other two areas I was asked to design. Uh, electricity, we've already solved, it's gonna be solar. And then water, I have to design the well, or I have to choose the site for the well, design contours and how the water is gonna be managed and flow across the land. And then of course, any building we have, we're gonna catch the water from that. And then they did have a dry canal system that ran through and occasionally during flash floods would have water. So that could also be incorporated into the water design. Um, so I'm compartmentalizing a little bit to try and make the scope of the project easier to understand and comprehend and kind of what I was doing during that year and two years that I was working on the project. Um, I was designing the water, designing electricity, planning how food would be produced, what foods can be produced and how that would be managed and then building in the architecture and how all that would flow together on a large scale design of the site. Um, and I was flying down to Austin for a week to 10 days every single month to spend time on the site, studying it throughout the year, as well as doing research with all the permacultures and local farms in the area, learning what we can farm and how that's done as well as recruiting the people that were going to manage that because I wasn't going to be living there or managing it personally. So I was the designer as well as the project manager. It'd be great to see some pictures before. And yeah. After. Yeah. I totally. I've got, I've, got, I've got a bit of that. I wish that we had done more, um, but you'll kind of get a sense for my life. I really, I take everything I can onto my plate and I'm like running at max bandwidth kind of at all times. I'm, <laughs> I'm so many things that um, I really lag on the documentation part of things. Uh, and I could I could use some assistance there. Right, well, we're, we're running at an hour and 15 now, so we'll have to uh, uh, sort of finish on two things. It's basically uh, just what you did after that project, like what you're doing now. And uh, as well, I've seen your Facebook post that you're, you're, you're offering to help somebody. Do you want to take a sure. chat about that then as well? Yeah, yeah. If we're wrapping up, um, I've really been talking a lot about myself. And I actually had put some thought into this um, in not just sharing my own story, but actually trying to really directly give advice to say like myself 15 years ago, or someone else that's kind of getting into this, like I'm sure they might have got lots of useful information from hearing about my story. But I also spent some time um, thinking about what advice I would give. And I also want to say, 
for anyone that's watching this, if you're kind of in that position that, you know, you're young and you're really interested in this and you're, you're trying to navigate this, um, I'm willing to spend an hour one-on-one -on -one with you and kind of help you navigate this a little bit and iron out your vision and iron out your plan and really maybe kind of help launch you in that sense. Um, but I did spend some time thinking about what I can just give you right now that might really be of service to you that you might be able to take and run with. And I, I came up with this specifically in the framework of like someone in the, uh, in the permaculture path maybe struggling, not having a lot of resources, not having a lot of experience and kind of getting started, like what could you really use information wise and um, perspective wise right now? And I found that a lot of, of what I would advise a person in that position is just advice that I would give to any person, no matter what their position is, and maybe not necessarily permaculture related. Um, but I wish I had spent a little more time on this, uh, but really, I guess, get clear on your why, like, why is it that you're really trying to do what you're trying to do? Why is it that you're really interested? Why is it important? Um, what is it that's driving you? What is it that's motivating you? Um, cause that's going to, going to help clarify everything and then, um, seek mentors, once you're once you're kind of clear, oh, okay, let me let me jump here. Um, design, take a moment, step back from life, step back from everything else that is pulling at you and all your distractions, and think about who you really want to be. Design you, you know, like your ideal best self. If you became the best person that you could be, not in anyone else's perspective not in your parents opinion or society's opinion but by your own standards if you could become that best version of yourself that you dream of being that maybe even seems beyond what you think you could do what does that look like you know uh figure out who you would really like to become what is that person that you would really like to be because if you also if you don't create a clear picture of that you might lose sight of it while you're on this journey and you're making it towards your goals and, and end up way away from who you actually want to be. And you might um, not stay true to what really mattered to you or really uh, those kind of things. So I think that's really important, um, knowing your why and taking the time not only to know your why and what's motivating you, but even separate from that, compartmentalizing away from that, just designing yourself as a person into who, who is it you want to become. And then um, compartmentalize that a little bit into what kind of life would you like to have? You know, like really what kind of lifestyle do you want? Do you want to get land and really root into that land and, and become the person of that land? Do you want to spend, do you want to be traveling? You know what I mean? Like, like what life do you want to create for yourself? Because if you don't, if you know what you want and you get serious about it, you're going to start, we're going to start taking steps every single day and you're going to create that. But if you're not clear about that, you're just lost in the dark, kind of bumbling around and wandering and you can get whatever other advice and make whatever other attempts you might make, but you're still just bumbling around in the dark. In my opinion, if you don't know what kind of life you want to create, if you don't know and have a vision of the kind of person you want to become, 
So first really invest in that, you know, really invest in that. And if you have clarity on that, it's going to make everything else smooth because now you have a clear goal you can work towards instead of just kind of not sure. I'm just kind of wandering around. Oh, this seems kind of interesting. This kind of appeals to me and I kind of resonate with this and you're really never going anywhere. Once you know the kind of life you want to have and the kind of person you want to be, that's going to help identify who mentors might be for you because they're going to be people who are living the kind of life that you want to live and who are you you admire and respect and inspire you because they're exemplifying the kind of person you want to be and they have virtues and traits and characteristics that you see you want to embody and you want to gain and so so find mentors that you can learn from and in my experience um they're hard to find and it also might it might take some some intention to develop those relationships because those people that are living uh, a, a lifestyle that you admire and are exemplifying characteristics that you admire, they might be pretty busy uh, running their own businesses and doing these things. And they might not have a whole bunch of time to just be volunteering, teaching people for free and mentoring people and taking on uh, people as projects. So similar to the way I pursued an education by working and getting paid to learn what I want to learn to, to build relationships with uh, mentors. You might have to offer to volunteer. You might say like, Hey, I see you have an amazingly successful plant nursery. Um, I would love to come volunteer and help for free just to work with you and, and learn from you, you know? And then you might show up and, and volunteer and bust your butt and do that for a week. And they might say, you know what? You're so valuable. I'm willing to hire you. And now I'm going to pay you while I teach you and mentor you, you know? Um, or you might just genuinely reach out and ask for help um, explaining who you are and your intentions and who you want to become and that you admire them and would really love to learn from them. But I would find some people that, are further along on the journey that you want to take that are going to help save you mistakes and teach you things that might take a lifetime to learn or that might have been passed down as intergenerational wisdom that took lifetimes to learn. Um, so rather than you going out there and trying to invent the wheel, find some good mentors. Um, hand in hand with that, if you're trying to learn and gain experience and get in to these businesses, uh, you might consider volunteering. Like I said, like maybe you want to have a plant nursery one day, you might need to go volunteer with some plant nurseries and see how they're run, see how they work, see how, see how that business operates and, um, and kind of get that insight by volunteering or seeking a job. Even if it starts off at minimum wage in the business that you're interested in building. And that's where you're going to learn how that business works. And that's going to give you that hands-on experience. Um, that's my advice. What I find is the, the generic permaculture um, route is to pay money to go to workshops from permaculture educators who are trying to create a business and income themselves out of telling you how to do things. Um, and... 
I see a lot of teachers that really aren't worth their salt and really aren't teaching you things that are going to make you money. And I see a lot of people who have a bunch of certificates and graduated a bunch of programs who still aren't competent to do anything. Um, so rather than a bunch of workshops and classes and, you know, permaculture events, which are great and also great for networking and great for philosophy and can be great for learning. Um, I recommend looking for mentors and volunteering and looking for a job in what you want to learn. So that's some of the, um, the advice that I might offer people who are, are trying to kind of get into this stuff. Um, that's really some of the best advice. Other than that, I would say um, a lot of the advice I would give is really more specific and is really going to vary from person to person. It's like if you're taking a journey like I took where you're getting into construction and landscaping and tree work and you're doing the hands-on hard work, that takes a serious toll on your body that accumulates over time. And so if you're, if you're not, if you're, if you're going to be just a designer or you're going to be doing like computer work, that's totally different. But if you're out here doing the hard work, I recommend as young as you possibly can getting into yoga or Qigong or Tai Chi and making that a regular part of your lifestyle. And this is really universal to everyone, no matter what you're doing. Um, this is where my advice kind of goes outside of permaculture. I recommend my best advice for everyone is to kind of like I said, with yourself and your future design your best life one day at a time, like design the best day that you could have today and tomorrow and, and, and build it, build it one habit at a time. Like, like yoga, like I'm going to do yoga one hour every single day. And by, by making that part of your daily practice, it's going to prevent a hundred injuries that you were going to get that we're going to take you down and make you not able to work and cause you pain and make you less able to do things and cost you sleep and all of these things. And it's going to make you a healthier person. Um, and that just never ends. Like then you can say, you know, who knows what unhealthy habits you might have. You might say, I'm going to drink one glass of water every single day. And then you're just going to build on that and build on that. And, and one habit at a time, one change at a time, one day at a time, you're going to build a divine life. Because I think that's really what you want to do, whether you realize it or not. You want to build an amazing life and you want to have a life that's meaningful and healthy and where you feel good. And you're going to do that by intentionally creating your life every single day. And if, you, if you're not intentionally creating your life, then it's kind of just happening and the habits and routines that define you are happening unintentionally. And maybe the habits you're building are not healthy and you haven't really put that intention and that thought and that energy into that because you're not intentionally designing your day and you're not intentionally designing your life. But like me, 10 years into this now, I have chronic injuries throughout my body that I just pushed through because I'm strong enough to push through it and I can. And maybe I was so poor at that time, I didn't have the luxury to take care of my body. I didn't have the luxury to take time off work. 
I didn't have the luxury to pay for massage or pay for yoga or pay for those things. But no matter how poor you are, and especially if you're so poor, you don't even have a job or you're, you're that kind of poor, what you might have is time, time to stretch, time to drink water, you know, time to design your future, time to design your day and what that, what you'd like that to look like. And if you, if you invest in that, you're going to create an amazing life regard wherever you're trying to go. And, and that's the other part is really take care of yourself and, in, and, and invest in you and don't short that, you know, if you do that, if you, if you literally made your 100% focus and I'm just going to invest in myself and I'm not Christian or, or religious in that sense, but as they say, treat your body like a temple, I think you're going to become rich. If you just did that, like you're going to, you're going to get good at stretching and yoga and knowing your body and health and nutrition. And guess what? You're going to become a fucking guru and people are going to come to you and be like, how are you healthy like that? Help me, you know? So, so that's my advice. And if you don't, what's going to happen is you're going to become sick. You're going to become injured and you're, it's going to take a toll on you over life. That's going to weaken and diminish what you could have been. All so right. uh, that, that is that is all excellent advice, and thank you very much for it. I'm sure listeners will get uh, get great value to that. And if you think you get value to that, give us a thumbs up and a like and a subscribe. Last question, Orion. What's what's uh what's the next few years going to bring for yourself? What's your plans? <clears throat> totally. So I've somewhat developed the philosophy that like you don't tell people your plans. You you show them when it's when it's complete kind of thing. I like to keep. <laughs> Keep my plans a little bit of a secret, but um, I'll share a little bit. And that is, um, I'm just always restabilizing my foundation and coming back to my foundation and making sure I've got a good foundation. So I'm digging the well on my property right now so that we'll have water year round, even in the summer, which is building a foundation forever. Um, this, this, food forest that I've planted on my property, the oldest trees are only three years old. So they're still, you know, vulnerable to deer and drought and these different things. So I'm just caring for them and helping really get them well established. So they don't need my care anymore. And, um, and then eventually they're going to be producing crops and yields that bring in money. And they're also eventually going to become a nursery that's bringing in money. And that's also going to eventually be an educational space that's bringing in money and an event space that's bringing in money. And, um, you know, I'm just kind of getting all my vehicles maintained and getting all my debt caught up with, and just kind of this year is kind of a year of, uh, just taking care of the foundation and kind of getting everything ready for the launch of the next plans. Um, well, so we'll yeah, that's to, kind of when you're, uh, you'll have, we'll have to get you back on and chat about the, that once you get that up and running. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah, I would love to, to do another one of these. Yeah. Um, and some other things that I'm working on is one of it, – it, it's almost tacky to say, but honestly, one of my biggest missions um, – and they say you can't try or you can't look, but yeah, I'm trying to find the right partner. Like I've been looking for the right woman to partner with in life for some time, and I see that as maybe more powerful than anything else I could do. Like if I could find her, that's a more powerful move than any other move I could make. So that's pretty big. 
Don't know when it's going to happen, but that's well, definitely that, uh, on my list. One of our one of our previous guests did meet his wife online, so maybe yeah, could, yeah, maybe we could give that a go. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'll tell you, I'm uh, I'm feeling very attracted to South America. I've been I've taken I visited Latin America a little bit, fell in love with it. I'm uh, definitely making some serious preparations to spend a lot more time in South America, and uh, I'm on a few places talking to women down there. So very so good. there's some some there. Um, another thing I'm really interested in. Well, part part of that and just what drives me is like. I really want to teach people and like kids, I really want to invest in kids and the next generation. I want to have kids. Um, but also not having met a woman and not having kids, I'm really looking for like apprentices and people that I can kind of teach and train and people who might become part of the businesses that I'm building long-term and the communities that I'm building long-term. And so that's a constant ongoing part of what I have going on. Um, and there's a lot of things that I want to be doing and a lot of businesses that are ready to take off that I just don't have the bandwidth to do. Um, and like, for example, I'd like to be doing more podcasts like this. I'd like to start an educational channel, but I just don't have any more bandwidth right now. So it's like whether it was the female partner that I meet, whether it's an apprentice I take on or whoever, um, I'd love to find someone that we can collaborate together on like a YouTube channel, you know? Um, and also, if you're out there watching and you have somewhere else that I might do a podcast that you think would really benefit or I might benefit, et cetera, um, I'd super appreciate being connected. I'm very interested in doing a little bit more uh, of this and kind of getting out there a little bit more. Um, and I'm, I'm optimistic that like this very video might lead to potential clients, to potential um apprentices or people who want to come uh join the community here in washington work with me in business or um hire me and while i'm open to specifically with with youth which i'll kind of just define as say like 26 or under if you're if you find yourself in a position similar to you know the one in my story where you're young you don't have a lot of resources you're kind of struggling to find your way I'm happy to spend an hour one-on-one -on -one going through things and kind of trying to help you iron this out for pretty much anyone. Um, if we kind of connect and seem like, you know, we have a connection, I'm willing to, to kind of sponsor and mentor you a little bit and kind of offer you guidance um, just over time as you kind of build this. And then um, outside of that also, if you're young, and maybe I don't have the time, et cetera, to continue to, to mentor you over time. If you want to invest a little bit and spend, say, like 50 or $100 for an hour whenever you want to get in touch with me and get my insight and maybe some guidance in business that might help you get through whatever challenges you're dealing with, I'd be very open to like a reciprocal relationship like that. And then maybe if you're a potential client who has land or a property, and you're looking for some help building a food forest or designing that or building the team that's going to help do that, um, reach out and maybe I can help you with that. So, um, so yeah, to get in touch with me, um, I, my email is the number seven T H G E N like the first three letters of the word generation tree service at gmail.com. 
So my tree company is called Seventh Generations Tree Service, and the email is service at gmail.com. Um, and we will put and that, then, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Facebook. It's Orion Black, O-R-I-O-N, last name Black. I'm probably the only one with that last name, but currently you'll see like me with a skyscraper background. Um, and then there's also a page for the property where I just like kind of post some pictures and updates on things that are happening out at the property that I have here in Washington called the sanctuary and its stewardship. Uh, disclaimer, like I said, I definitely uh, lag on documenting and like updating, you know, progress. I really, I'm, I'm looking for someone to help with that um, actively, but if you want to get in touch with me, uh, those are pretty much the, the ways to get in touch with me. Also, if you're up here in Washington in the Puget Sound area, I own a tree service company. I also do like some design and construction work. So if you're looking for any of that, my phone number is 253-951-0979. Ryan, that's great. And thank you so very much for that, uh, telling us your story and sharing it with our audience. Uh, I'm sure they all yeah. really appreciate it. And uh, for all you listening, that was Orion Black, and that was the Permaculture Vine podcast. If you are interested in getting into digital design and wanting to learn how to communicate with potential clients, how to extract the information, we have a PDCD professional course uh, starting in September. The link will be in the show notes. That's just launching now. Uh, if you want to go check it out. Orion, thank you very much. Uh, cheers. Thank you for having me.